This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to another amazing day right here on the Andrew Cooperator Show. Hopefully, you're having a fantastic Thursday, or maybe you're just starting your day out if you're listening over on WZXI. We're on Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. If you're over there, you're probably just starting out your day or getting into it. So I hope you have a fantastic one. But if you're somebody listening on the podcast format, you're not hearing this till one or so, I hope whatever day you're listening, you have a fantastic one as well. We've got a lot of big topics to cover today. We've, you know, yesterday we kind of talked a bit about school choice and, uh, you know, I'd post about it too online. Some people had some arguments, conservatives had arguments about why school choice wouldn't be a good thing. So I want to kind of dig into some of that. And, and it's an interesting discussion, so I think it's worth having. Um, let's see here. We might have a discussion, too, about cost of living compared to wages here in Kentucky as Bashir peddles out some lies. And then we'll also be digging into uh, some legislation that's been moving through Frankfurt. So we'll have all that and more right here today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. If you want to reach out to the show, catch old shows, head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. So yesterday, as I'd stated earlier, I, I spoke about school choice, and I, and I mentioned how our leadership isn't allowing the bill that has the best chance to uh, pass the House that would have the most amount of votes on it to move forward because they personally don't like the sponsor because he stood up to them. And if you want to make a difference, you should call up there to the legislative research center and leave a message for your legislator. Or you can email them. If you head on over to LRC's website and say, Hey, leadership, stop messing around, get this bill moving forward. But but regardless, uh, you know, and I'd posted something similar online and I, I had a, two comments from conservatives. So normally, you know, Democrats are going to respond, say, oh, private dollar, public dollars shouldn't be going to private schools, forgetting that the public dollars came from private people in the first place. And it's really not worth it for us to dig into those conversations. I've, I've talked about those common arguments against school choice that comes from the left, but I thought it was worthwhile to talk about uh, these arguments coming from the right. <clears throat> and so I'd essentially stated, hey, you know, reach out, tell your legislators to, <clears throat> sorry, pass House Bill 208. And I got a comment from, so sorry, I need a cough real quick. 
<clears throat> there we go. I got a comment from uh, two people who self-identify as conservatives. And one was, no, we don't want school choice in Kentucky. Parents already have the choice to choose how their kids are educated. Putting the state Department of Education in charge of homeschool slash private school is nonsensical. What the government funds, the government runs, you can homeschool for free. And in the similar vein, we had another comment from somebody saying, that uh, why would any conservative want this? The whole point is to get away from government-controlled education. You choose to allow government to fund private schools, and the government will then dictate your child's education. So let's let's dig into this. Let's talk about this point, because it on its surface, it looks like it has some merits. And honestly, if we lived in a perfect world, not in the real world, the world we currently live in, the argument I would agree with and be 100% for. Uh, if we were first creating our educational system across the country, they're saying, how do we want to handle this? How much should the government pay for it? I'd be the first to chip in and say, you know what? Maybe the government shouldn't pay for it. Maybe it should be on parents to take care of and raise their own children. Uh, not only does that teach personal responsibility, it teaches them not to ask the government to raise your kids. It creates more critical thinking kids that don't uh, aren't indoctrinated by government actors that then wouldn't lead to this you know, indoctrination far left centers that our schools have become. And, you know, for those of you who don't think so, I know maybe in your rural communities, you don't see it, but you go into Lexington, you go into Louisville, you're going to be seeing, you know, those transgender flags, the gay flags up, they're going to be up everywhere, right? So if we were not in this current world, I would agree with you, but we, we need to understand where we are now and what are our best options. You know, it's kind of like being on top of a mountain and being faced with a couple choices of which way to go. And none of them are perfect. And all of them have their own dangers. We're trying to decide which one has the least amount of dangers. And you're the guy at the back that's like, you know what we should have done? Never climbed this mountain in the first place. Well, yeah, no duh. We should have never climbed this mountain in the first place. But we climbed it. We're up here. What do we do? And so what do I mean by the mountain climbed? So currently in Kentucky, it is in our state constitution that our government must fund a common school system. There must be K through 12 education. And our state Supreme Court has gone through and even interpreted that to mean that not only must there be a K through 12 educational system, but our state government must contribute a substantial amount of funds into a K through 12 educational system or they're, they're like mandated to do it. Like it's not allowed. So in order for us to be able to go way back to the beginning and say, never mind, never mind, never mind. We don't want government involved in school at all. We don't want government funding school at all. In order to do all that, we would have to go way back to when our Constitution was first being wrote and plug that in there. Otherwise, here we are. Or we could try to pass a constitutional amendment that says, okay, never mind, the government doesn't have to fund K-12 through education at all. And let me ask you, do you think a single Democrat would vote for that? No. And do you think it'd be really hard to get 10 to 20% of Republicans to sit there and say, no, I don't support that idea. That sounds awful. It wouldn't be hard at all. You're maybe looking at 30 to 40% of Republicans that could be persuaded to believe that the government funding education period, that each parent being responsible for their own kid is the good idea and the way we should move forward. It's, it's next to impossible. So until we can get that change in the constitution, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, and we will never get that change in the Constitution. So stop living in this fantasy world and look at where we are now. Government will always fund education. How do you want them to do it?
And right now, individuals who have the money to pay for private school and individuals who have the time and money for homeschool. And the other claim made in one of these comments I mentioned was that you can homeschool for free. I've homeschooled my son before. It isn't free. And it isn't easy either. Not everybody can do it. And I know there's a whole lot of homeschool families out there that say, look, 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 this is super easy. Everybody can do it. Uh, you know, this is, this is, if you want to do it, you can do it. And I'm not saying you can't, it's possible, but I don't think that's necessarily a realistic chance. And it also doesn't deal with the fact that we're still, you know, take Lexington, for example, still spending $17,000 a student that's being taken out of everybody's pocket. So it's not that just homeschool is quote unquote free or what have you. It's also that government, not everybody's gonna do it and government is still taking the money to spend it on education here. And we can't stop them from doing that. So maybe we can redirect how they're spending it. And that's where school choice comes into play. Because where there are families that can't afford private school, can't homeschool, what, what do we do with their kids? Do we just allow them to continue to be indoctrinated? Because those kids grow up to be voters. Those kids grow up to be elected individuals. Those kids grow up to be in your communities. And what do you want them? To, they will end up dictating, whether you like it or not, they will dictate your life saying, I checked out. I started going to homeschool. I checked out. I started going to private school. I don't care what happens over in public school is short-sighted because those people that grow up in those school systems will end up affecting your life, period. And so giving them options to get better high-quality education that isn't centered around uh, uh, pushing DEI and gender theory and all kinds of other crazy stuff, education that's centered around learning how to read and write so people can educate themselves on issues, well, that, that obviously is our way forward. That obviously is the right solution. And so school choice allows the everyday person, even people who aren't as quote unquote woke as you to make a decision about how they'll educate your kids. People who don't have the money for private school to choose how to educate their kids. But what about this claim that if somehow we end up spending, uh, getting choice in schools, private schools, home schools, that they'll start to regulate those schools. That seems like a good argument on its face, but it's really not. But we'll be digging into that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we were talking about arguments from the conservative side against school choice. And one of the common ones we often hear is that if we allow money 
into private schools, that uh, school choice. So there starts to be voucher systems. And so these private school students and and parents and others can now bring that that voucher to that school and more kids can go to private schools. Obviously, more private schools would open up or that this school choice system would open up the opportunity to regulate homeschools as well. And that's a big fear. And you hear that often, especially the homeschool crowd, because they really, I mean, they really want to make sure the government stays out of their homeschooling process. And I hear you. And that is a real concern. It is a real concern. But it really sounds like, and, and we hear this argument a lot on a many of other issues, where if we do this, we're opening up the door for, for this opportunity. You know, a common one was, um, you know, I, I hear this on abortion all the time. Well, if we, when we say you can't uh, uh, get an abortion, we're opening up the door for other medical regulatory bodies to take place. Or if we, we heard this on, you know, banning transgender surgeries or uh, uh, banning the use of chemical castration drugs and hormone therapy for kids that to transition their gender, that if you ban this, if you do this, you're opening up the opportunity for them to force kids to take these things or force parents to allow their kids to take these things later on down the road. And we've heard this kind of like this weird, posited, not weird, but this positive idea that you're somehow opening up the door for some other problem, some other government regulation. And to which I always say, they don't need an excuse to do that. There is no law. There is no constitutional amendment that allow, that stops the government from regulating homeschool, that stops the government from regulating private schools as well. Now, there is some First Amendment, you know, obvious concerns. Uh, if it is a Christian school you're choosing to go to, the government coming in and forcing you to teach things that don't align with that uh, uh, religious, your religious ideologies um, would would hit a First Amendment claim issue. So that would be a limiter. But there's there's nothing else. So to you homeschoolers who worry that, oh, if school choice will open up the opportunity for us to be regulated, you can be regulated now. There's literally nothing stopping legislators from doing that. And I brought, I brought this up to somebody. I said, you can be regulated now. There's, there's nothing stopping them. They said, well, there's a law right now that says we can't be regulated. Who passed that law? It's the General Assembly. It's the House. It's the Senate. The Kentucky House, the Kentucky Senate. They passed that law. They can pass a new law. That says you can be regulated. Nothing is stopping them right now from doing that. And opening up the opportunity for funding for this quote-unquote government regulates what it funds. I, I understand that concept because it's an argument. You know, obviously when we're talking about DEI and public universities, we're saying, look, that's a government entity so it can be regulated. True. You know, uh, public schools, government entity can be regulated. True. You know, uh, private colleges are worried that... Things like uh, FAFSA will end up getting regulations attached to it that says you have to teach this or you have to have these DEI policies in order to receive this money. And that's a concern, which is absolutely true. They can attach those. But what's to stop a university or stop a school in those instances if the government does decide to attach strings to this money to say, never mind, we don't want your government money anymore. We just won't take it. I mean, public, private schools exist now that aren't taking it. So if they start attaching strings to the money to go to these private schools. If you, if we have school choice voucher system, they start attaching strings that then now basically are turning private schools into teaching the same thing. Public schools are guess what will happen? 
Private schools will open up that won't take the money because they want to teach how they'll want to teach. And there's a market for that, clearly, as there's currently a market for sending your kids to private Christian schools and Catholic schools and paying enough that they can exist now without government funds because they want to get away from that government regulation. So the government does start to regulate too much. There will be private schools and universities, uh, things like that, that will split apart, say, I don't want the money then and teach what I want to teach and handle it how I want to handle it. And then that will continue on. We'll be in the same situation we are now, except that there's a little bit more of a free market for the public schools, for those who can't afford to pay for private schools. And they can start to pick and choose where they go to school, which will create a competition in the marketplace, which, yeah, maybe they're all mandated to teach DEI stuff, but at least maybe you can pick a school that actually teaches kids to do math or reading. It's objectively a better situation than where we are now. Like I said, we already climbed the mountain. Saying that we should just go back to the bottom of the mountain isn't an option. <laughs> We're here. We need to pick a path forward. And also on this idea that if you start taking money from the government, suddenly they, they, they have an excuse to regulate you. They'll start regulating you. Please tell me, when did a barber get money from the government that made them now go get regulated and licensed by the state? When did a realtor get money from the government that then gave the government an excuse to make them go get licensed by the state? When did a business owner receive money from the government to where they now have to go to their county and state and federal government and register with them and ask permission to do business? They have to get a business license. They have to ask permission to do business. When did they get money from the government to do those things? They never did. The government just did it. Unless it is in our constitution, there is nothing stopping them from regulating you now other than the voter and the voter will still exist to be that check on them regulating homeschool and regulating private schools now that there would be if school choice passed that would still exist so i think the holes in your argument like i said i live in the real world and objectively speaking, school choice is a better solution to than what we have now. It creates a competition in the, in the educational marketplace, a greater competition that will offer opportunities for different situations. Now, comment, another argument that we hear the left make against school choice, too, and I, and I just want to mention this. This is the left who mainly makes this, is that, you know, these schools won't offer things like transportation or intervention or these kinds of things, and they'll be able to pick the cream of the crop, and these kids won't get taken care of, and it'll be awful. Let me ask you this question. Okay, so Lexington, for an example, $17,000 a student, Jefferson County, over twenty grand a student, okay? So let's pretend you are one teacher and you were to decide, I'm going to go ahead and teach 10 kids. That is half the student to teacher ratio that is currently in most schools. So you're going to take care of 10 kids, one teacher taking care of 10 kids. That teacher would now be making $170,000 a year gross, $170,000 a year gross. Even if they take out another $70,000 to handle picking all the kids up, one teacher going around just picking all the kids up, feeding the kids a meal or two each day, like they do at these schools, providing all the textbooks and everything else, easily could be covered at $70,000 a year. They're still making $100,000 a year, twice as much almost as the average teacher in Kentucky. 
and able to pay better attention. So they talk about, well, do you need, they don't have required reading intervention. They don't have required this. They don't have required that. The options, if you truly have a true school voucher, school choice system, the options open to them would make things like intervention at public schools look like child's play, look stupid, look ineffective compared to what you could do. I mean, you could have one very specialized teacher, even teaching only five kids. And if the parents were able to get them there and provide the food, right? In this case, take if, if the parents said, you know what? My kid needs extra special attention. So I'm going to make sure I drive them and drop them off. Or even the, you know, it's five kids. The teacher can pick them up. How about that? I'm just going to also make sure I pack him a lunch. Guess what? That's still $85,000 a year. A one to five ratio. You want to talk about intervention for kids? A one to five ratio is an intervention to kids. Absolutely is. For the break, I did want to mention one thing. Uh, I saw this recently. The Kentucky Health Department's Association. This is very exciting. I want to make sure I'm doing my public service announcement. I want to make sure you all know about this. The Kentucky Department's uh, uh, Health Department's Association is offering your kids, K-12, through a chance to join the big pharma propaganda machine. It's very exciting, y'all. Very exciting. And you can sell their soul for a chance at $500. This is an amazing taxpayer-funded entity, the Kentucky Health Department's Association. And they're offering a poster and media contest for your kid to become a vaccine champion. Entries will be accepted until February 23rd now. So if you want to make sure you, you hand them over to Big Pharma, you got to get up there. Uh, elementary school, kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, their poster presentation, uh, this, is, this is what they want them to do on their poster. You know, a kindergartner, to describe the importance of childhood vaccines. Why should you receive your routine vaccines? Where can you get vaccinations in your community? And the poster should contain words as well as colorful pictures to promote the message. And, and look... I'm not saying vaccines haven't done good things for us. We, we all know vaccines over time, not necessarily an anti-vaxxer even. And I know there's some out there who are way more against all kinds of vaccines. And there's people who are for some against some. There's some who took COVID vaccine too. And that's your personal choice to do so. But my problem is this. Allow the groups that make money off of these things to handle the, the propaganda. Why are you getting our kids involved in this? And it just, and this is my point, it's these kinds of things that reinforces people to be really suspicious. Like, I was pretty much okay with all vaccines until the code vaccine, and I started asking some questions, and really digging in, like, what is going on here? And the more they do these kinds of things, the more distrust it breeds. You don't need to do poster contests for kids to become vaccine champions if you're not trying to indoctrinate, if you're not putting forward propaganda. It makes people uncomfortable. It just does. So whether you're for or against vaccines or what have you, we should all be able to agree that these kinds of things, the poster and media contest to become vaccine champion by taxpayer-funded entity is a horrible decision. Well, coming up after this, we're going to be digging into some legislation. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics we're now on let's see here i believe our 35th day of our 60-day legislative session so we're over halfway through our legislative session here in kentucky in the kentucky senate and kentucky house and we have passed just one bill to be law one bill to be law all that off time to prepare and prep and plan and 35 days of opportunity and they've passed one bill now, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I particularly don't want government necessarily passing a lot of laws. I'd rather the legislature pass high-quality, good pieces of legislation. Um, but instead, uh, you know, I, the, the reason to bring that up, though, is because we so often hear an argument for why we need uh, to take away the end date of the legislature and the sine die days and everything else is so we can use our time more effectively and efficiently which is malarkey. They don't use their time effectively, you know, well now. And keep this in mind. Keep in mind that it's been 35 days of the legislature and they've passed only one law, one bill. Keep that in mind when you go to talk to your legislators or you hear them talk and you say, you know, why didn't this bill pass? Why didn't the, I don't know, a, a, a good quality bill like banning minors from being a drag shows? Why didn't that pass? They say, well, we had the budget and we just really, really ran out of time. We just don't have the time to do everything every session. That's a claim that they make. We just didn't have the time. You didn't pass but one bill for 35 days. What do you mean you don't have the time? Spare me. If you don't want to pass them, just say, I don't want to pass it. But I, I want you to keep that in mind. When they sit there and claim, we don't have the time to address your problems. They went a full 35 days without passing one piece, but without with passing one piece of legislation. To put that in context, okay, last year, which is a 30-day session, so already, if we were operating on last year's calendar, last year's, you know, because on their off year, they get 30 session days, and on their long year, they get 60 session days. So last year, they had only 30 session days. Five, so they had five less days than where we are now. We're in the 35th day of legislature, five less days, 35, 36th day of legislature, somewhere around there. So five to six less days. They passed <laughs> over 125 bills last session. So in the same amount of session days last year, they passed over like 125 bills. This year they've passed one. And like I said, I don't particularly have a problem if they don't pass a whole lot of things other than the fact that there's a lot of good bills, needed bills out there, bills to do things like repeal regulations, bills to do things like, uh, you know, get a control on, on crazy things. These DEI bills, there's bills to deal once again with drag minors at drag shows. There's bills to deal with, um, you know, parental rights when it comes to schools. We've had issues with things at like Raceland Worthington, issues at Anderson County schools with parents' rights and parents' knowledge being overrode, problems with predatory teachers going on. We, we, we've had tons of issues that can be and need to be addressed. But despite that, despite 
that these bills aren't moving forward or maybe they're slowly moving forward and then they'll come back and say, look, I get it. You really wanted that bill to pass. You know, even a simple a bill to, there's one by Steve Doan that would stop sales tax on precious metals. So you could buy gold and silver without having to pay sales tax on it. Recognizing it as kind of like a currency and not really like, uh, or investment item, not really like a, um, you know, like, like you're buying a, a, I don't know, a couch for your house, right? Recognizing it as it's an investment. It's, it's not bought for any other reason than that. That's a good bill. I think we all agree. Yeah. Sales tax on gold. Get rid of that. That sounds great. But when it happens and when, when you ask after this session, your legislators, why didn't you guys pass the ending of sales tax on gold? They'll say, oh, we didn't have time. You know, it was a long year, uh, but we also had the budget to take care of. And we had a whole lot of important other issues. And just we just really ran out of time. There's not enough time. You can now say back to them, hey, um, listen. <laughs> um, at the 35 day mark, you had passed one bill in last session where you only had 30 session days, you passed over 125 bills. What's going on? Why were you dragging your feet so much? What's the problem here? Now we only have one bill passed, but we do have one bill that won't end up passing this week. Probably will end up fully passing next week, but it'll probably be the only bill probably in, maybe until the 40th day that even has a chance because when I'm looking at both the house and Senate um, orders of the day, so what they plan on voting on, I haven't seen the the house voting on a Senate bill and the Senate voting on a house bill other than earlier this week, which was house bill 18, which we'll dig into, but house bill 18 is going to be vetoed for reasons that once again, we'll end up digging into house bill 18 um, that will end up getting vetoed. And so the governor, Either he can let it sit on his desk for, what is it, like 10 days or so? Um, 10 business days, I believe. Anyways, it can sit on his desk for several days, and he can then, at the end of that, either not sign it, and then it becomes law without a signature, or he can veto it. If he vetoes it, and he vetoes it on the last day, which he often does, then it has to go back to the House, back to the Senate for another vote, vote each different days. So that takes two days-ish to happen to overcome the vetoes. So, you know, we're looking at another 12 days in that time frame-ish before House Bill uh, 18 ends up becoming law. And so that will end up being, oh, what, right around, probably right around about the 45th-ish day or so of legislature. So it'll be 45 days in and we will have two bills passed, most likely, unless something comes up between now and then that the governor won't veto that both the House and Senate agree to. But he most likely will veto House Bill 18. Why? Because House Bill 18, of course, is the bill that all the Democrats hate. You may remember I covered on my show the freakout over House Bill 18. What House Bill 18 would do would ban local governments, counties, and municipalities, and cities from making landlords take uh, government vouchers for rent. And so basically, you know, right now a, a landlord um, can choose in a lot of places to say, look, I want you to be the one paying your rent. I don't want to take people who are receiving government vouchers for their rent, things like Section 8, um, because they're saying, look, I, I don't want, um, you know, there's certain things that go into individuals that take vouchers to pay for their rent. And it's not that there's necessarily they're bad, but when you look at the entire group as a whole, you're looking at people who are more likely to destroy the place, 
for an example, if you're not paying the rent yourself, somebody else says you feel a lot less ownership and feel a lot less tied into making sure you're taking care of the place. And so that can lead to a quite a lot of issues inside somebody's home. I mean, keep in mind, they're renting this out. This is their home. They're responsible for damages. When you leave, they have to take care of things. And if you've wrecked the place because you don't take any ownership of the place because somebody else is paying your rent, well then, you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about that. It's the landlord's problem. So maybe they don't want to rent to you for that reason. Or maybe they don't want to go through the rigmarole of dealing with the federal voucher system. So they say, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I want to be able to say, pay your rent. You didn't pay your rent. Well, then I'm evicting you. Period. End of story. You know, there's other strings attached that comes to using these government voucher systems. And most importantly, it is this landlord's property is right. You may think they're wrong to do that. You may disagree with them, but it's their property. It's their right. This is what property rights means. They get to decide what they want to do with it. And so you've had municipalities like Louisville, like Lexington, like some in Northern Kentucky that are passing ordinances saying that landlords must take these government vouchers. And so House Bill 18 is looking at saying, never mind, these local areas can't do that. They can't uh, take, they can't, um, you know, tell landlords what to do with their private property. There's been some arguments against this that's coming out of Lexington. Harold Leader actually had two articles this week posted about it. Um, two different things. I want to dig into those arguments, talk about whether they have any basis. Spoiler alert, they don't. But it is worth discussing and probably talk a little bit more about a few more pieces of legislation. But you're going to have to wait till after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics. House Bill 18 looks like to be the next bill to pass. We kind of covered this a bit before the break. It's a bill to stop the uh, mandation, mandation, I believe that's the word, of landlords to take government vouchers for rent. Things like Section 8, things like uh, some other rent programs that come from the federal government. Um, because there's been some laws passed by localities to force these landlords to take these vouchers, even if they don't want to, clearly violating property rights. Now, we've got an interesting article from the Herald Leader from Beth Musgrave. And in it, she's quoting um, Art Crosby, who's the executive director of Lexington Fair Housing. And sometimes I think these people like Art, they just they cook up like arguments that sound really, really good in their head. And they think they're making a really good point. But in truth, the minute it's said out loud, it makes no sense. And anybody with two brain cells to rub, rub together can see this is absolutely ridiculous. So this is what R had to say. He said, I'm still kind of in disbelief that the legislature would pass something that removes legal protections from people just because they're using a voucher. First off, it's, it's funny that he's saying that they would pass a law to remove legal protections from people just because they're using a voucher. These legal protections for people are being created by cities and of recently, right? So that statement in and of itself, I can't believe they'd remove legal protections for people. Well, they re remove legal, you mean what, reduce regulations? So anytime that the government's not passing new laws and repealing old ones, like under the same concept, Art, I'm sure Art Crosby is very much so in favor of repealing Senate Bill 150, the bill to ban uh, transgender surgeries and, uh, you know, chemical castration drugs and so on and so forth being taken by minors. If they repealed that, he'd probably applaud it. I would sit there and I could easily say that's a legislature passing something that is removing legal protections from people. I can't believe that. That's what that, that it's it's the same argument. It makes no sense. 
then he goes on to say that um, the way I read the plain language of the proposed source of income bill, it means if you have a voucher, then a landlord doesn't have to rent to you ever, no matter the reason. None of the current civil right protections would apply to voucher holders. What does that mean? It's saying, okay, you can't pass a law to force you to take vouchers. So now they're saying that in this bill to say, yeah, they don't have to rent to you ever. Honestly, a landlord doesn't have to rent to anybody ever. They can just sit on their house if they wanted to. They can sell their house instead of renting it out. They can decide that they'd rather burn it to the ground as long as they get a permit saying they can do so. They can decide that they'd rather destroy it, demolish it, than rent it to somebody. And then he goes on, none of the current civil rights protections would apply to voucher holders. What current civil rights protections are you talking about? Just because you still, if you, and this is what he goes on. He goes on to try to explain this. He says that a, a, a black renter, a person with disabilities or a disabled veteran who uses a voucher can be denied even if that landlord rents to a white renter with a voucher. What are you talking about? So I guess what Crosby's positing is that under this bill, somehow a landlord could say that they're denying a black renter because of a voucher, but then turn around and take a white renter that has a voucher, but be able to claim they didn't take the black renter because of their voucher. Which, that's not what the law is saying at all. The law is saying you can't force them to take the voucher. If somebody does that, if they say, I'm going to take this white renter with a voucher, but I'm denying this black renter because they have a voucher, you would have grounds for racial discrimination. Regardless if, if this law passes, you would still have grounds for that if, you, if there's no other reason why other than that. I would doubt that was real and actually happens. I'm very dubious of that claim, but you would still have grounds for that. So I, I really can't, it just seems weird that you would make this argument. It doesn't make sense. And then you talk about civil rights of the renter, civil rights of the renter. What about the property rights of the landlords? Never comes up. Never is thought of. They look at the civil rights protection. They look at this as so on and so forth. And it doesn't make, that, that doesn't make sense. What civil rights protections? Well, they can use this as an excuse for racism. Guess what, Art? They can use anything as an excuse for racism. They could be not renting to somebody because they're a racist piece of garbage and say it's because there was something they didn't like in the background. They couldn't verify the income source. Uh, they had other people who put in their applications, so on and so forth. Whatever it may be, they can do it now. They can make up any reason they want to now. All you're doing by saying this is forcing a whole bunch of private landlords to now have to take government voucher systems and treat it the same as normal money as if it is normal money. There is a difference in kind. There just is. Between somebody who has a thousand, this is a, a quote that they make, uh, not in this one, but there's another article that uh, a guy running for uh, Dave Savigini, Savigini, he's running for, um, He's running for city council in Lexington. He made a point of saying $1,000 in vouchers is the same as $1,000 from a person, so I don't see why you'd make a difference. No, it's literally not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. Because $1,000 from a person who doesn't have a voucher is $1,000 that they went out, worked hard, and earned. 
that means they have a different personality set on the whole. Not, I'm not saying everybody who has Section 8 is a bad person. I'm not saying everybody who makes their own money would be a great renter. What I'm saying is, is when we look at pe- behaviors and what that means to renters, people who went out and worked hard for their $1,000 are going to be a different type of person as a whole than people who were handed $1,000 for free. They will have a different mindset. They will have a different value system. They will look at things differently. They just will on a whole. I'm not saying it's impossible that a person who has a $1,000 voucher looks at things the same way somebody who earned $1,000. And I'm not saying there's people who've earned $1,000 that don't have the same mindset of those who take a voucher. Not saying a voucher automatically makes you a bad person. It doesn't. But if I'm out here trying to sift through renters to pick somebody to live in a home that is going to pay me my rent on time and take care of the property so I don't end up losing my butt on the deal, I'm looking for any indication I have that they're going to be somebody who takes care of stuff and who takes care of things, takes care of themselves. You know, there, there was a comment by Savgini in here, or no, no, it was actually by Art Crosby who says discriminating against people for uh, uh, their mental health. It's like, well, you could discriminate somebody who's mentally ill. That shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against somebody who's mentally ill. You know, buckle up, buckaroo. I'm going to say something here. Um, I think you should be able to discriminate sometimes against people who are mentally ill if they're severely mentally ill. Who are trying to find, I'm sorry, I just think so. I mean, if you're mentally ill and you end up, I don't know, going mentally crazy and that causes you to put a bunch of holes in the wall, like I'm talking like severely mentally ill, like, you know, where you start writing things on the walls and, you know, you you start um, destroying the place, you're mentally ill, you can't, you know, get out of bed to take care of the property, like that is a real thing. And while I understand that person's in a place and they need taken care of and so on and so forth, they need housing, I hear you. But at the same time, when you're talking about a rental situation, I know everybody thinks of giant companies, but they're not giant companies. They're individuals. And you're asking one individual to take on the responsibility as well as the liability of another individual directly. And so forcing them to take on liabilities that they don't want, pretty, it's, it's, it's over. It's too much. That's why this bill's passing in the first place. One more piece I want to quickly hit upon. I got about a minute here is Senate Bill 126 set to pass the Senate. It would prevent the governor from parting 30 days out or until uh, 30 days out from an election or 30 days uh, until the uh, election and also <laughs> once the election's over until the new governor's in office. Basically, they're trying to take an aim at dealing with some of Bevin. He did some pardons on his way out that has raised some controversy, some conversation. And so they're trying to, I guess, take a look at that, make an adjustment for it. Um, and so they're proposing a constitutional amendment, which we've got tons of constitutional amendments now proposed. We've got Several that have passed one body or another. Remember, you're only allowed to have four on a bill. Um, you know, I wish I had the time to dig into Senate Bill 126 now and some of the the pardons and is it good, is it bad, uh, but I don't. So you'll have to tune in tomorrow. It'll be the first story I cover. Senate Bill 126 working its way, passing the Senate over to the House, talk about whether it's a good amendment, bad amendment, What what's the story behind it. Uh, we'll have all that and more tomorrow, but thanks for tuning in to the Andrew Cooperator Show. We'll see you back here on Friday. Have a great rest of your day.